Hey surgeons, welcome back. This is Kelly and I'm so excited today to, doc to talk with Dr. Laura Fortner, who's an OB-GYN and an LCS coach who specializes in medical malpractice lawsuits. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kelly. I'm super honored to be here. Uh, I think I think uh, Amy Vertries hooked us up. Yes, yes, I met Amy virtually um, at, at one of the physician things that we had. So um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. When did you get uh, LCS certified? So I was certified in July. Nice, nice. And what, what yeah. brought you to the getting, because it's one thing to be coached, but then it's another thing to become a coach. Can you tell us kind of your whole journey in that and how it ties in with you and your experiences of being OB-GYN? Yeah. So, um, gosh, so as an OBGYN, I've been practicing for 21 years and about eight years ago, I was hit with a medical malpractice lawsuit, um, devastated me, uh, had went through all the emotions. I think we all get anger, frustration, fear, um, of what it would do to my career, you know, the whole gamut, shame, embarrassment, all those things. And I actually was on a journey of healing. And trying to heal myself from what was happening with this lawsuit. Um, and while I can't talk about the details of the case, because it is still ongoing, I have been through probably every gamut of a lawsuit that could happen from dismissal to trial to appeal after appeal. And so that um, deeply affected me. And I was on a journey to really help heal my soul from what was going on. And I think one of the problems that we face as physicians is, you know, we uh, sacrifice so much that we mix up who we are with what we do. And when something like this happens to us, we deeply um, have wounds that are really hard to get over. And so that's how I found um, coaching. I went um, and actually started getting coached myself to heal. And then I decided to become a coach, not because I was initially going to start the business, but actually just to get really good at self-coaching so that I could have the tools in my own pocket that I could um, when I had a trigger, when the lawsuit was coming up, when, um, you know, something made me think about it, right, that I could equip myself to, um, you know, get, as we will say, maybe get over it. Like, I know that as physicians, a lot of, a, a lot of people will tell us this, you know, when something like this happens, oh, just get over it. It's all about money, those kind of things. It doesn't work unless you know how to overcome it yourself. Um, and I think that the tools that we learn in coaching were so valuable. So while I was going through the coach certification, I woke up one day about three months in and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. I have to help other people. This has helped me so much. It is, it has made me a different person. The coaching has, um, and from once a, uh, physician that was, you know, I wasn't as confident after this lawsuit, right. I wasn't as confident. I didn't have, I played some defensive medicine. You know, I was sometimes over obsessing about diagnoses and doing the right thing and all those things that come with it, um, to, being back to my self-assured self and having joy and purpose again in medicine, which I didn't think was possible. Um, and so the coaching just healed me. And I just have so much passion now to be able to help other physicians going through the same thing because there's no resources. We have nothing out there for us. All we're told when this starts for us is don't talk about it. 
And that, um, gosh, we could talk more about that, Kelly, but that's kind of my journey. And that's why I decided to do this. And, um, and I'm super passionate about it. My clients right now are just incredibly making so much progress with it. So it's so exciting to see. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the, your story is very similar to mine of like, I never, never was like, I'm going to be a coach. Like that was not even on my radar. It was more like, how do how do they do the magic, right? Like I wanted to know, I wanted to like find out how the magic tricks worked of like the awareness and seeing your mind and questioning your thoughts and loving yourself through it. And I just have to say like the process, like, yeah, I'm a coach, but I'm like, I know there's the awareness of the mind and the power of the thoughts over your body and your life. I'm like, totally worth it. So yeah, yeah. My, my, my journey was similar. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a coach and open a, have a business. It was like, I want to know how the magic tricks work. <laughs> yeah. The brain science, right? Like I was so intrigued about how I could, um, control how I was feeling. Yeah. Right. We, we blame the circumstance. We blame our lawsuit for our anger, our frustration, our, you know, um, embarrassment, shame and all of that. And we can really control it with the tools that uh, we teach. So Totally. And I, th I think there'll be people listening to this podcast on the full spectrum of like coaching cynic, coaching skeptic, what or, or just novice of like, what is coaching to like people who are actively being coached and then to people that are being coaches. So every time we get into like our coaching speak, we'll try to like bring it back for the people in the back. Um, so tell me what, what phase do doctors usually find you? Like, are they finding you in like the pit of despair or are there... Are, do you think it'll be like, do you want the culture to change so that they're going to find you at like the beginning of a lawsuit in the future? Because people will know this is an essential tool. Like, where do you see doctors right now? Yeah, right now, I actually have seen the full gamut. Um, but most often it's in the pit while they're dealing with the medical malpractice case. I do feel like in the future, I want it to be the mainstay of like, hey, this just happened. You just got served this, I'm, you should go and have this resource now, because, which is not happening. They're, they're in the despair or they're sort of on the other end, but they can't, they're, they've lost their joy of medicine. They, they want to quit. Um, you know, they're thinking, gosh, they don't belong those kind of things. And so I'm really in the middle to tail end right now of where they're finding me. And I do think it needs to be pushed back to the very front because we could actually help you know, prevent physician suicide. I really believe that by doing that at the, in the front end and actually having better, um, outcomes in terms of cases like deposition, you know, how we conduct ourselves in deposition, how we go about the trial, like those kind of things can be so beneficial if they knew the tools and learn the tools that we have. And by the way, too, Kelly, like for those that believe this is foo-foo stuff, like I too thought the same thing. Like, this is why it's taken me, it took me literally seven years to find this. I mean, I got sued eight years ago, seven, it took me seven years to find this because I, like you all that are skeptics was skeptical too, thinking I needed to go to the right channels and, and you know, do psychologists or do it. Yeah. You know, I did EMDR. I did all these things. So, um, and, and I'm just here to say that this works. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to hear. Like, I, I'm always saying that of like, I am the skeptic, I'm the resistor, I'm the challenger, right? Like, I did not come into it, but I had I, my undergrad was neuroscience. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to come full circle to be like, oh, yeah, it's the brain. It's the brain. And we're just harnessing knowledge of the brain and, and ancient wisdom, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about isolation, because I think isolation from the pack and the group within physicians is a really wound causing part of being sued of like, we're alone. We're not supposed to talk about it. Only uh, good doctors don't get sued. You know, I don't know anybody who's gotten sued because we're not allowed to talk about it. Like that really, that isolation is so, so damaging. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it is so damaging. The culture of medicine, it's, I mean, it's so taboo, right? And your lawyers, the very first things out of their mouths when this happens and you get served, will tell you, don't talk about it. And what they really mean, which is what needs to be said, is you cannot talk about the details of the case. But you can talk about um, your emotions, what you're going through and how it's making you feel. I mean, you can do that. And um, I think the biggest thing is avoiding isolation. The very thing that happens to us because we're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we're walking around thinking, oh, my gosh, do my colleagues know? I don't want them to know. Right. So I don't want to say anything. Right. But then that just isolates us even further. And the funny thing is, here's the stats. If you're in a high risk specialty, especially surgeons, you have by the age of 65, 99% chance you will be sued. That's the facts. And by the age of 45, it's, I believe, like 75 to 80%. So it, it is, it's going to happen. And this is why I am super passionate about creating sort of like, you know, I don't know, a Me Too movement of like, listen, this is normal. This is normal. This will happen and help set us up for success and help us be able to have, um, you know, be around support peers that are going through the same thing. There's no resource out there like that. And I'm trying to establish that right now because it's just, I, I spent seven years searching, isolated, feeling alone, feeling I didn't belong, feeling, you know, like um, ashamed. Mm-hmm. And that shame can eat you alive and really suck the joy and purpose out of your life. And the culture of medicine perpetuates that. So it's something that we we need to fight back for that and stand up for ourselves and be able to say, hey, you know what, this is normal. This happens to us as physicians. And even when most of the time, because here's the thing, you guys, most of the time there was no medical negligence. We did the things you know, we, we bent over backwards. We did standard of care. That's, that's most of us. And even if there was a mistake, we're human, right? I mean, mistakes happen too. And it doesn't mean that the outcome was caused by that mistake either. Right. Like you, like, so, so the thing is, I think being around, um, a peer group, that are of going that are going through it at the same time and doing this you know feeling the same way that you're feeling can help us can help physicians heal actually mm-hmm. um and it is said you know the healing process is just if you can bear witness to what you're going through in in front of a compassionate person that's been through the same thing that can just give you healing gotcha. so i think isolation is a huge problem in medicine and i think we need to create change for that can you talk too because i th- i think most people understand it, but how a lawsuit can then affect your your partnered relationship with your spouse. Mm. It can affect your your the health and, and your ability to want to like be out in the world. Like it kind of trickles outside of your job too. It does. It does. And actually it invades every space of your life because it will 
you know, and, and not only just in your coworker setting, but um, the, the stats are there's increased rates of divorce, affairs, um, going down a deep, dark place that you have never been, personality changes, suicidal ideation and suicide. And so it's, it's such a, it trickles everywhere in your life not just in your entity of your office, but your office stat, it is, it is found that your office stat will notice changes in you, your spouse will notice changes in you. And oftentimes because of the way we're trained, so we're trained, we're the extreme beings of saying we're fine when we're not fine, right? Yep. And we're supposed to repress all of our feelings. We're not supposed to feel, we're just supposed to get back up and be able to cope for the next thing. And that's how we're trained. And so you, when we try to do this, when this happens to us and we try to do this in our personal life, it just backfires. It just, it just takes us down a deep road of, um, of creating those emotions even more, that shame, that anger, the frustration, the um, feeling of loneliness, the negative self-concept that you will have about yourself, the beating of yourself up constantly and um, one of the things I teach, I think that that's super powerful is how to be self, how to learn how to be self-compassionate, because that's one of the biggest problems that we have as physicians. We are not self-compassionate with ourselves at all. But I did have, I have to tell you this story. I heard this one surgeon who um, uh, actually wore a diaper during surgery because they had a GI issue and they couldn't leave. They, they had to still come in and operate, Right. <laughs> even though they're sick and ailing, like, doesn't this happen in the surgery world? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think in the urology, as far as like the rate of being sued, urology is twice in a career. Mm. And so that almost just normalizes like, get ready for one because there's going to be two. Um, yeah. You're, yeah, I think all surgeons are, are pretty darn high. And it's this, this is belief that good doctors don't get sued. So then therefore I must not be a good doctor if I did get sued. And it's almost this like emperor's not wearing any clothes sort of thing mm -hmm. of like, we are perfect. We are gonna get sued. And then we have this big like resistance to it of like, but we shouldn't and we should be right. perfect. And it's like, almost like, do we see what's actually happening here? Yeah, it's so true. And you know, I think we all come out of residency being infallible, like, oh, no one's ever gonna sue me because I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I follow standard of care. Like you do all the right things, but you guys stuff happens even when you do all the right things. And that, that this whole process of us. So what we do in our minds is we argue with reality, right? We're arguing that this shouldn't be happening to us. Um, I had one of my clients tell me I went into a lower specialty not to get sued. This shouldn't be happening to me. Right. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where when you argue with reality and you continue doing that, overcoming it, you know, um, is really hard for you. And most of us sit and spin in that place for years, even because the average time a malpractice case goes to fruition is four point seven years. Yeah. And you can't you can't make it you can't just get rid of it. Right. Like it, you're not in control of that timeline. Right. Right. You're not in control. And it becomes very frustrating to us because I also think that we're human beings that think that we have control over everything. And then now this is something that we have no control over, but we do. The reality is, you guys, we do have control over it with our thoughts 
um, to create what we want in our lives and, and how we feel. And I know many of you might not understand what Kelly and I are talking about, but um, but getting the tools and the brain science behind that and how to do that is really the way to overcome this. Let's talk a, a, a second about litigation stress. So litigation stress, you have written on your website, the negative physical and psychological reactions to being involved in a legal action. Most common reactions are anger, fear, shame, isolation, and self-doubt. Yes. Oh, I mean, it sounds so horrible. Of course we want to avoid this. Right, right. So 95% of us experience this when we get served. So I remember getting served. I've, I was served twice, same case, because it got dismissed first time. But um, uh, I was. it was around the holidays, and my kids were beside me at the door when the sheriff came to serve me papers at my home. And this is what lawyers do. They do tactics like this because they play on our emotions. So that's purposefully done to intimidate. Absolutely purposely done to intimidate us and it, it can be done in the office too so then the whole office knows right by the time you get served from the sheriff the whole office knows what's going on it's it's such a play that they they do and um and i think right there in that moment you could say all of us will experience those anger shame embarrassment self-doubt like I remember after this happened to me, I shut the door. My kids were were littler, you know, and I, I tried to get them arranged and I went in my bedroom and I sobbed. I sobbed. I mean, I didn't I, uncontrollably of like, you know, oh my goodness. And when you look at the language of the papers that are served, it is really disheartening. Negligence, you know, you committed this. Like, it's almost like you feel like, you were a murderer, not that if, if the patient died or not, it doesn't really matter. The language in that document is so um, disempowering. It just makes you feel as if, you, you know, you you think, gosh, this is the end of my world. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I, I call it on my website, like life after death, because you do feel like you're all, you could almost die through this process of what's happening to you. Mm -hmm. So um, it, litigation stress is real. And the, the thing about litigation stress is it's just the, these emotions that come up and we don't know how to handle them. Now, many of us, because of our training, we can repress them for quite some time and be able to move through our life, right? But many times what happens is this litigation stress, if we let it go untouched and we don't heal from some of this, it can develop into what's called medical malpractice stress syndrome which is in the DSM. This is an entity of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation of physicians when this happens. And this is when it tips over the scale of really affecting everything that you're doing and that your coping mechanisms are not there at all. So I think that, you know, um, getting coached in between these two entities can be saving for anybody. I mean, it's, it's just such a, a thing that we can catch. It is sort of a progression, if you'll say, from those two entities. Totally. And I, I want to pause on these feelings. It's so important for people to understand. It's not that we shouldn't feel these bad things. Anybody would feel these bad things when a sheriff shows up at your house and you've got papers that say you were negligent or whatever it might be. Um, 
it's not the feeling them that's bad. It's the unresolved and just kind of unprocessing them. Would you would is, would that be how you explain it? Is like you carry them because you're like resisting them. You just want them to go away instead of like processing them, looking at them kind of objectively to kind of help get through them. Am I saying that well enough? Yeah. And what it is is really separating out the circumstances and facts to really the story that you're telling yes. yourself because we are telling ourselves most of us oh my gosh we're a bad doctor we did something wrong even if we didn't do anything wrong we blame ourselves it's that beating up of ourselves and how we're talking to ourselves and the story that we're making this lawsuit mean right and it's separating those two things out so that we're able to objectively process the emotions i mean the emotions are there you guys and they're they're good like um crying for instance can be very healing right and in processing that emotion of shame um and all the things that come up during these things you want to learn how to do that because that's how you're going to get onto the other side to have joy and purpose back into medicine yeah totally i was thinking i was uh sharing with you before we started recording that recently in one of the urology journals a young urologist had written about how our training is so arduous so that we can save a life when things are really bad and they're really sick and we know what to do and then the article ended and like with my my coaching brain now and like being understanding you know burnout and all, all these things is like that article shouldn't have ended there the article should have then said and now what do we do when we do everything we can do and it still quote unquote wasn't enough, right? Or didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, or the patient did have a bad outcome. We get no training in that. We're always, we're taught if you're a good enough doctor, bad things won't happen to you. Yeah. It's a culture of perfectionism, right? Yeah. Like we are so inbred with the culture of perfectionism in medicine, do no harm. Like we can't do no harm. Right. And, and the facts are we're human and we're all flawed. I mean, and, and even though, I mean, we can all follow the book, do the standard of care, do everything we know in our power and things still happen that are not going to be predictable that we don't have control over at the end of the day. I mean, we're talking about human bodies, mm -hmm. right? We, we are so advanced in this country in terms of medicine, but yet we're not perfect, right? But yet we are held to a standard of perfectionism that I think this is where it perpetuates these thoughts of I'm not a good doctor, even when you've done everything you could and you've done everything right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I always think of that Medicare, for example, says there should be no catheter associated urinary tract infections. Right. To the point of they're not actually not paying for any catheter associated urinary tract infections. And for to me, I, you know, I'm a urologist, so this is my example, but it's like it's impossible to have zero catheter associated urinary tract infections. We're like humans and it's warm and there's like bacteria food. Like, so I, I see that and I'm like, that's how ridiculous our world is, is you think there should be zero infections in like living things that biologically get infected. And so it's like that part tells us we should be perfect. And then the lawyers of like, they exist to kind mm -hmm. of profit, maybe profit off of us, everybody even patients thinking we should be perfect right yes yes and that expectation is just not a standard that any of us as humans can make i mean we're just that but i believe that culture of perfectionism plus the culture of silence you know not being able to speak about this really perpetuates this 
walking around feeling ashamed, isolated, self-doubt, and that we're not, we're not good enough. Right. And, and the funny thing is, is we're walking around this way and there's a lot of other docs walking around the same way and no one's talking about it. And that needs to change. Yeah. I I love it. I love what you're doing. Do you have advice? Can you give advice to the doctor who's listening, who's never been named in a lawsuit? Like, let's say, let's say he or she may never, or maybe it's going to be tomorrow or whatever. Like they're just never involved in a lawsuit yet. Any advice you can get them as far as just like helping manage their mind, like pre lawsuit. Yeah. I think one of the things that I would say to you is prepare for a lawsuit. Like, just know that it actually is normal if you get sued and you're like everybody else. <laughs> There's nothing. And the thing is, if you don't get sued, good for you. But I would prepare that that this is an inevitable thing, because like I said, even if you're a low risk specialty, 75 percent chance you're going to get sued. I mean, that's just if you practice till the age of 65, it's just numbers. Yeah. Um, so don't don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, it's just not going to happen to me because I'm so, I'm a good physician. We're all good physicians that get sued, all of us. Yeah. So I think that that's one thing to prepare yourself with. This is the reality and not to argue with yourself when it happens. Say, OK, they said that this was going to happen. Here it is. Now, what are the next steps for me so that I don't develop you know, severe litigation stress to MMSS, you know, what, what should I do next? And that's kind of what I, how I would start to think about this process, um, that it's normal. I love it. I I think, I think back to myself when I was for the first couple of years that I was out in practice, I had an incredible fear and anxiety about getting sued. Huge. I think it's like, you realize you're on your own after residency, right? You're not protected by the attendings anymore. And, you know, time goes on and I learn how to be coached. And then I learn to coach and I realize all the work I'm doing right now is preparing me for when I get sued. And so I just want people to think like the self-compassion work that you do, the processing feelings, catching when you're fighting with reality, like all of these practices prepare you for quote unquote, when shit goes down. But like, it's always work we can always benefit from, even when we're not having a lawsuit handed to us. For sure. I, I think it's super important, especially with the times right now, with COVID, with burnout rates, with all the things that we're dealing with in medicine in general. I mean, gosh, my hospital is the short staff. The There's just so much pressure right now, and it seems more intense than it's ever had in my career for whatever reason. And these tools are so useful for every aspect of medicine. You don't have to be going through a medical malpractice lawsuit to go get them. I would encourage you guys to go get them. I mean, it's just so helpful for, and then when impact really hits, you're so well prepared compared to me seven years or eight years ago when I had no preparation, I didn't even know how to function or handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you've already got your, you've almost like prophylactically got your network right? Of like the people who understand how to talk like this, how to help people, self-compassion, challenging, you know, limiting thoughts is like, you've already got your team to like go to when, when things go bad. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm thinking about is like for the leaders, the department chairs, all the people who are listening, as far Mm -hmm. as like knowing this is a resource available for if somebody were to come to you and say, Hey, I've been named just to be like, get on top of the coaching, get on top of the, the care of the person who is going to go through a whole bunch of stress. 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I definitely, I think that that the first step is, you know, obviously when, when like as the department chairs or whatever, I think that this is some education that um, they need to offer to their staff. I mean, in those hospital organizations, I have been doing speaking for different healthcare organizations, um, family practice, ER docs, all the gamut. And it's important because I'm talking about the actual facts of what happens when this happens. And we could um, prevent a lot of things from going badly. And one of the things is physicians leaving, right? I mean, it costs an institution quite a lot of money for a physician to leave staff and that turnover rate costs hospitals a lot, right? And so when, um, if you're, if they're prepared and know that something like this could happen to them and then they have a resource to be, to, to reach out to, um, when they, when they all are equipped with the knowledge, I think education and knowledge is so key and no one's talking about this. No one's talking about litigation stress. No one's talking about what, what's going on with medical malpractice. I mean, yes, we're getting risk management, like how to prevent and avoid, but there's nothing when it happens and beyond, right? And so that's what um, I've been doing. I've been talking to a lot of organizations about this so that they can have the tools and the resources when something like this hits to help prevent turnover, to help prevent burnout, to help prevent all those things um, that are uh, detriments when suits happen. Um, so uh, I, I think, I don't know if that's what you were asking, Kelly, but um, that's something that uh, I do offer um, to go speak um, so that people understand there's a resource because people don't know about me either. Right. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so let's say, uh, I go to work tomorrow and I've got somebody there with a big manila envelope and I get served tomorrow mm -hmm. tips and tips and like thoughts on like when it immediately happens, yes. what, what yeah. do you wish the doctor would, would know? Yeah. So uh, obviously the first thing you guys, when you get served is you want to call your insurance company and your lawyer immediately or find out who the lawyer is and find out, you know, your next steps. Um, I would, here's the thing, like if you, um, uh, it's wonderful if you can take a break at that moment and, and do some sort of breathing <laughs> in and out of breathing and release sort of some emotions that are going to come up because you're going to have quite a bit of emotional response just by getting served. So I find that that can be super helpful, but then being an advocate for yourself, asking your insurance company, when you get on the phone with them, like, listen, what are resources for me to help with myself going through this emotionally? What do you have? Um, but also um, asking the lawyer, like saying, you know, I know I'm not going to talk about details of this case, but I need to get a superior, you know, a peer support group or something going so that I can be the best I can be throughout this process. Right. So those are some things. But I would tell you there's there is um, a good uh, sort of relaxation thing that I do, even in like I'll get a trigger. So here's what happens. Like I'll get an email from my lawyer or a confidential letter on my desk is a big trigger for me because confidential to me associates lawsuit when, you know, it could be a patient's records for goodness sake. Right. But that triggers me and I'll get palpitations. I'll not want to open it. it. It, you know, all the stuff, all the emotions go through. And so I kind of breathe in and breathe out. And I say, you know what? I release 
what is I release this resistance and I'll breathe in and breathe out and just keep saying I'll release the resistance and I'll open it up and then figure out what it is. But I think that that um, learning some of these techniques, you guys, whether it's a little breathing technique or learning how to be self-compassionate right at the moment that this is happening to you, like what would you say to a friend? Like, okay, you just got served, right? What would you say to a friend that got served, your colleague that got served right then and there? And I want you to say it to yourself. Not beautiful. Yeah. Because you would tell your friend, it's okay. We're going to get through this. Like you can, you are an awesome doctor. Like, look at all these amazing patients that, that have, you know, thanked you. Right. That's what you would say to a friend. Mm -hmm. So in the moment when you're served, if you're saying to yourself, which most of us are, oh my God, what did I do wrong? I'm awful. I don't belong here. Like all those, those negative thoughts, turn them around and decide I'm going to be a friend to myself right now. And I'm going to say what I would say to a friend. And that's self-compassion. That's learning how to be self-compassionate. Awesome. Always important work worth doing, no matter where we are, pre, during, or post litigation. Well, thanks for so much for joining on this podcast. We're going to do a separate podcast where we've done uh, questions and answers that some surgeons have written into me, knowing we're going to have you as an expert, and we'll do that next time. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kelly. Okay, welcome back. Today we are lucky enough to talk to Dr. Laura uh, Fortner, who is a expert coach. She's a, not only is she an OB/GYN, but she's a life coach certified coach whose niche is medical malpractice lawsuits. So in the last episode, we talked a lot about why it's important to have a coach or a support team or manage your mind and what you can do in all phases of um, the lawsuit. So go check that out if you haven't listened. And today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna I'm gonna throw a bunch of questions at her, and we're gonna kind of talk through some of these scenarios that doctors have written into me, knowing I was going to be able to have you as a guest on today. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. These are I love Q&A. It's great. Okay. Would love to hear your perspective of treating patient complaints by phone and email, which is more common these days in lieu of exams and office visits. I'm thinking about the patients who refuse to come in for chronic uh problems. Um, and as far as the risk, I think what they're asking is the risk for lawsuits or mm-hmm. kind of how they should think about this kind of changing environment we see ourselves in kind of COVID post COVID of like not being in rooms with people anymore. Any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, it's, it's the, one of the things I talk about in my, how to avoid litigation list. And one of them is creating systems and processes for everything and being very consistent about it. So what I mean by this is phone calls, phone call comes in consistently, same way, documenting, documenting, documenting in a very clean fashion. This is number one thing, like, and having a process of how you do it all the time, the same way. And this can be done also, you know, in your office, like in terms of pathways of staff answering the phone, rooming the patients, how you schedule surgery, how you um, hand out instructions, all should be pathways and and, um, sort of consistent systems that you have in place in your office that you do it the same way all the time. Messy means litigation. And when, if patients think you're disorganized, it's not a good reflection. Um, Even if your staff is unorganized, it's a reflection of the physician, unfortunately. And so it is something that can really help to avoid um, litigation by making sure that your process, have a process, like have a standard note that you fill in 
that's consistently the same with these phone visits, you know, um, and maybe, you know, making sure you have the same, like patient refuses to keep coming in, like patient refuses to keep coming in and making sure that's documented consistently every single time. I think what happens with physicians is we don't have these systems in place, right? And one note will say it and another note, will, note won't. And then, but we know we said it, right? So it's just streamlining these processes in our, in our uh, situations, in our offices, and amongst the nurses and really getting good at that, that it's consistently the same way all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think people's concern about kind of the new, whether it's going to be the new normal, but like email care and phone care and telemed care might be considered substandard care than if you're like sitting in a room with a patient, really thinking through everything. Um, how do you kind of bridge that gap for doctors? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I I would say, you know, if you, here's the thing, I wouldn't obviously repeatedly treat the same thing over and over and over again through email and phone, right? One time, then they have to come in. And actually having a standard policy in place that nurses could voice on the phone as well as doctors can voice in their notes as their, you know, if they have a standard of this is the way it is, then you're not going to fall short in terms of like um, really having that um, suboptimal care because this is the policy. Like I'll treat a UTI one time over the phone. Next time though, you've got to come in because that's not normal. And we, we've got to take a look at things. Love it. Can you speak, uh, can you speak a little bit here? We talked about it a little bit in the first podcast, but I think it's so powerful is when we mix up who we are with what we do and kind of like how that, I just loved that quote of like why these emotions of being sued are so deeply personal. Cause we're like, yeah, we're doctors. It's like, and we're like, well, it's kind of our job, but it's like who we are and how does that like layer onto the pain of getting sued? Yeah. So I think, first of all, you guys, we spend countless years, countless hours giving to others. We miss the first steps of our babies, right? We miss these sporting events, the family outings, the, the field trips. We miss all these things to give care to others. And that sacrifice, that's who we are, right? That's, that's what we know. But, but what happens is the doctor role gets so embedded because of all the years that we do this, that we're deeply ingrained in our brain and our thoughts, that that's who we are. That's what we do. Right. And that mix up causes a severe personal emotional injury when we get sued, because we are thinking this, this lawsuit is a function of who we are. Now, here's the thing. Many corporations get malpractice. They, they get sued for malpractice. Insurance companies, lawyers, like other practice accountants, they all get sued for malpractice, right? But they don't take it as personally because it's business for them. They haven't spent the countless hours and life-saving things that we do for people. They don't, they, they don't associate that because that's not, that's, it's just what they're doing, right? And it's business. And for us, because of how we're, we've spent years doing it, we have just mixed it up by the end of it, right? Yep. And I think, uh, you know, I, I want to be very careful and like, we're not telling people that they need to separate self from no. doctor. 
it, I think it serves us and our patients a lot when we do it, but understand when it's serving us and understand when it's not serving us is a useful tool. Yes. And really being able to step back and say, okay, these are the facts. This, this is, this is the facts of the lawsuit. This is the story that I'm telling myself, my opinions, right? And so the stories are usually what are not serving us because we're telling ourselves negative stories and making this lawsuit mean something that is really not true. And really just examining the thought like, okay, you've been sued. That's a fact. I've been sued. Total fact, right? So I was sued and my thought about it is, you know, I had a thought the long, the longest time I had this thought that I'm not a good doctor, like I'm a bad doctor. And that thought plagued me. And I wanted to continue to argue about this lawsuit that was happening and argue with reality. Um, but that thought um, was really what was keeping me from the joy of medicine. And if I really looked and examined, I want you to ask yourself, you know, that kind of thought, is that really true? Like, can you question it? Is that true? And when I would question it, is it really true? And then start to look at all the patients that have thanked me, sent me cards, sent me their baby photos. Like that's not really true. Yeah. You know? So it's just, you know, the, the negative bias of our brain, right? Like we're not alive because of the good things we remember. We're alive because we want to avoid the tiger of like our brain dismisses that stuff. We're like, yeah, that's just part of the job. Yet when we get sued, we're like, yeah, that's just part of the job. You know, like we, we Mm -hmm. treat the negative and the positive with significantly different weight. Right. Absolutely. And it's really retraining yourself to think about the positive, right. And to go there and find evidence for the positive and questioning these negative thoughts that come up, you know, um, and separating it out from the facts to truly what your story is um, and your thoughts are. So yeah, it's learning those tools. Learning them. I was thinking with just in you talking about like other entities and other people getting sued. I'm like, when the hospital gets sued, is the hospital like, well, I guess I shouldn't hospital anymore. The hospital's no. like, well, no, that's, I, we take care of like, what would the community do if I wasn't the hospital for the community? Getting sued is part of this job. Right. And again, like I stated in the last podcast, if you hadn't caught caught that, um, here's the stats, you guys. If you're in a higher especially, especially surgeons, 99% chance you're going to be sued by the age of 65. And it's like 75, 80% by the age of 45. So you're not going to avoid it. It's going to happen to you. And that's just the facts. We just need to start talking about it as a medical community um, and stop making it so taboo because that's what's isolating us and making us feel so ashamed because we're thinking we're the only ones going through it. And that's not true. If you're walking around in your hospital right now, I can guarantee there's multiple other physicians walking around in the same hospital dealing with the same stuff and the same emotional responses that you are with the anger, the fear, the isolation, the um, shame, all of it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the next question I think ties into that. Um, the This listener would like to know or be reminded of the malpractice pitfalls, which plague women in particular. Do you have any knowledge or, or like, is there any studies on that? Does, how does it, does it affect women differently? Are women more, uh, I think women are actually less likely to be sued. Do you know any uh, kind of gender disparities yeah. in, in this arena? Yeah. This is such a great question. I actually, there's no studies on gender disparities in men mal. I will say that men, the, the only study that I know of talks about men. There are more men getting sued than women. Yes, there is. But that's the only thing. I do think that we all go through the same physical, emotional responses, though, of 
the very first response usually is anger for us um, that we just get so angry, right? Um, and then we'll go to the fear fear of what's going to happen to our careers and the future and like how this is going to affect us, you know, in the long term. And then we'll go to that shame because we feel embarrassed and we feel like we'll be shunned if we share what we're doing. And I think women in particular, we do, we're, we're, um, we're supposed to be these strong people, right? And we can't be weak, especially around the environment of medicine. And um, I, there is, which is funny that you bring this up now, Kelly, in the self-compassionate research, women are a lot less self-compassionate than men. So real, I did not know that. Yeah. You could extrapolate really because self-compassion is one of the ways to really heal through this process and learning that. Um, And so women are a lot less compassionate than men in terms of self and So therefore you could extrapolate women have a harder time with malpractice because they are beating themselves up to the nth degree, don't know how to be self-compassionate, have never learned how to do that. Um, And most of us think that's a weak, you know, a weak thing. And it's really not. It's actually, um, it's kind of like this. I'll I'll explain self-compassion as um, sort of the fierce mama bear. I don't know if you've heard of this, but like, oh my goodness, it's kind of like this. Like if something was going on with your child, mm-hmm. right? You would do, you would step up and do the right thing for your child, no matter what people thought, but you would also mostly deliver that with compassion. Most of us would, because we're going to protect our child, but we're also going to be compassionate at the same time. And that's what I teach. I teach being able to stand up for ourselves, right? but have self-compassion at the same time. It's a very difficult thing to do. Most of us either are abrupt and like, you know, look at, they think, we think, you know, that the, our administrators or the people that we work with will think that we're like these B-I-T-C-H's, right? <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on a podcast, but. Um... <laughs> I swear, I swear all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> But most of the time we're thinking, oh, they're going to, I'm going to come across this way, but there is a way to do it. That's self-compassionate, but fierce at the same time. Love it. Okay. Here's the next one. I'm going to read it to you and then we can kind of digest what I think is underlying this question. Um, Okay. So stress of timely notification of patient results, like a biopsy that might get lost in an inbox or EMR junk notifications, us being very afraid we're going to miss something in regards to a lawsuit. Um, And then feeling the pressure to look at all images. Um, I often find findings that are admitted or disagree with the radiologist. I don't have time to correct or contact the radiologist, but I wonder in court if that would be to my disadvantage if the lawyer asks, so what are your credentials to read a CAT scan? And then number three, same person, lack of proper instruments or bedside assistance. Worst case scenario, if assistant Mm -hmm. is truly incompetent and poorly trained and something happens, what would happen to the surgeon? Like the hospital sends in a newbie to watch a few cases at the next door hospital and then calls them trained. So I think what I'm seeing here is kind of a lot of anxiety of like everything, Mm -hmm. what we do every day because we're so rushed and we pack it so much in, like, are we just fraught with risks for lawsuits everywhere? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, Honestly, you're, um, you know, most of the time. So, so, 
you're going to get sued in your career, most likely, right? But these, the anxiety that you're experiencing with all the little things right now, actually, we can separate that out and you could learn the tools right now that you could overcome these feelings that are happening to you for this fear in the future of getting sued, right? I do want you to know that most often, if physicians, so here's the stats about lawsuits, okay? If physicians get sued, most cases get dismissed, okay? Over half the cases will get dismissed. Then over half of those tend to get settled. Um, and then the rest of them will go to trial. But it's a very few, like 20 to 30% go to trial. And those that go to trial, 80% of the time physicians win. So, so if, if I, I don't know if that reassures you because a lot of us, like, here's what I want you to understand is most of the time we win as physicians um, because there, there is no medical negligence, right? And we are all um, doing the best we can with the data that we have, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, having said that, um, you know, is one entity and then your, the, the underlying like anxiety that you're having about you know, reading the scans and, you know, all the mistakes that can be made, right? I mean, you could go crazy thinking about all the mistakes that can be made. And we, again, are all human. There's lots of mistakes made in the hospital every single day. I mean, we have on our labor and delivery board, the last day that somebody did a medical error, the last day that somebody, you know what I mean? Like we have these stats there. So we could get totally caught up in the anxiety of all those things. And what I want to say to you who called in or uh, wrote in about this question is you can really right now make an impact on yourself regarding this anxiety that you're having. And, um, you know, uh, talk to Kelly or the coaches here about how to help you with that, because um, you could get help right away to where you're at peace with what you're doing in the office work today. Um and, and sort of having that peace is really what I think we all want to get to, right? When we're, we're practicing, we're going about our lives and feeling that joy and purpose again, we have peace inside. And there's a way to do that now instead of waiting. Like I know you, you've got a lot of fear and anxiety about that these things may happen. And yes, they're going to happen. But we can also teach you the tools right now so that you can feel good about what you're doing right now. That's beautiful. Yeah. And of course, like you're so skilled and expert, like, of course, you picked up that anxiety of like, I, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I need to make it perfect because this might happen. And kind of being able to pick that apart and being like, it's going to happen. But are we kind of destroying our peace and, mm -hmm. and enjoyment of our job in the meantime? By, mm -hmm. by, by like trying to, again, I think it's part of that, it's that perfectionist culture, right? Of like, yes. I have to do everything perfect so this won't happen. And like, odds are it's going to happen and nobody's perfect. And then it kind of, it starts to crumble. You can kind of let the sunlight in a little bit. Right, right, right. And I realize institutions, they're still perpetuating the perfectionism. And so we have to learn, like I said, we can't wait for institutions to catch up with the brain science and the things that we know, we can't wait for this stuff. So we're out there um, starting a movement ourselves to help physicians be able to overcome these things right now. So you can feel at peace right now and have that joy and purpose back in your life. Amazing. Next question is best tips to avoid a lawsuit. 
Yeah. Great question. So I already answered one of the tips is get a system for everything that you have in place in your office. This is crucial. Um, consistency is everything. Um, and usually what what will happen when you do have systems, it reduces bad feelings with patients because they feel like she's they're organized. They know what they're doing here, um, especially those people that are lost to follow up or those who didn't get instructions and didn't know what to do. If you always are consistently doing the same thing over and over, those things will be eliminated. Right. The second thing is um, I like to share is really get perspective. And what I mean by that is that's number two um, is to really be in the patient's shoes. So let's say that you had a surgery complication that's normal, right? Like they sign an informed consent. These are the complications. This patient comes back in and they've had a complication. Really sit in that patient's shoes and deliver, make, deliver yourself with compassion and empathy towards this patient. Um, that goes a long way. Communication is enormous. Like communication is actually the number one reason why people sue because of poor communication, because they haven't, they felt like they haven't had that. Now, there are instances where you get sued and you've had amazing communication. I'm not saying that, but what I, most often it's poor communication. And so really get perspective of where the patient's coming from and try not to be defensive um, when this occurs. So a complication occurs, going into a room and being defensive about what happened is not going to go well. <laughs> it's just not. So you want to be compassionate and sit in that patient's shoes and be empathetic about what they're going through and how you're going to help them through this. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's crucial. Get perspective of, of them. And then the third thing is I really like to talk about cleaning up your documentation. This, this is crucial. Documentation is everything. When you're in a courtroom, they scrutinize, your plaintiff's attorneys will scrutinize every single thing documented. And when it is not consistent, it is not good. Um, when it is messy, it is not good. It goes back to that systems in place. Like what kind of HMP do you do? What kind of notes do you do? Make them consistent and have a process, you guys, and clean them up. It's super crucial. And make sure if you don't know the diagnoses that you state that, like, this is in my differential. Here's the options, you know, and, and just, um, you know, be very clear about what it is you're doing. Um, this is crucial because, again, most of the time they scrutinize these documentations and documentation can be super messy. And, um, and patients, when they are upset, they will come and get the records right from, so this, this happened to me with my one lawsuit <laughs> um, is they came and got all the records, right? If the, if they get the records and they're all messy, they're like a mishap. That is a reflection of you in your office and they have a poor then sort of outlook on you again. Does that make sense? So it's like, you know, if you streamline everything and everything's in its place and this is how we do it, they won't have another excuse to take it to a lawyer, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Absolutely. That's good. Um, next one is how to maintain perspective when the lawsuit happens. Yeah. So um, like we've been talking, I think the, the biggest thing is we will want to isolate ourselves. We're told to isolate ourselves and not talk about it. And this is really hard. It actually makes us worse and will make the problem worse. Litigation stress will be compounded. Um, and so 
really learning how to separate out the facts and stepping back and saying, okay, if this were another business, this is the facts. Um, I'm making up a story that I'm a bad doctor right now, right? And and really sort of questioning, is that really true? And, and figuring out, you know, separating the facts from the thoughts and really diving into some of this, like um, some of the tools maybe I even discussed on these podcasts, like self-compassion. What would you say to a friend that was getting sued and remind yourself that you're giving the same message to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um breathing in and out, releasing the resistance of what's happening right now. Those things can be super helpful um, when a lawsuit happens. Love it. Okay. The next one is I have a really hard time dealing with the emotions of anger, indignation, sadness, frustration, as well as anxiety about the repercussions on licensing and credentialing, which can be a huge headache. I think what they're talking about is if I get sued, I have to like disclose that for the rest of my career. I envy those who can just blow it off as the cost of doing business and not let it affect them personally. But I suspect a lot of us are in the same boat because a core part of our identity is actually caring about the patient and obsessing over doing the right thing. And it all gets called into question when someone's unhappy enough about their care to break that relationship. Yeah. And I think this goes back to, again, we mix up who we are with what we do. It's a deep personal injury to us and overcoming those emotions and, and the unfortunate thing. So here's, here's the lowdown of what happens when, you know, every time you're going for a license or recredentialing, you actually, um, you have to disclose when you're getting sued, right. And what's happening with the case, um, with the hospitals and the organizations. Now, Here's the thing, nothing gets um, really set in stone in terms of your record um, in the National Practitioner's Database until it's all said and done. So if if it's in the middle of it, it's not even reported right now, okay? I don't know if that gives you some sort of <laughs> good feeling or not, but it's not even reported. It doesn't get reported until all the appeals have been over with and somebody has gotten money or it's gotten dismissed or whatever, like it totally done, done, done. It doesn't get reported until it's totally done. So I don't, I think that that's a little encouraging, but it does suck. I mean, I do feel like, and I'm just going to be honest, it sucks, right? We have to feel like we have to defend ourselves every single time we go through credentialing and the licensing process. Like it's a, it sucks. Um, But this is, again, goes back to learning the tools of how to separate the facts from the story that you're telling yourself, because it's the story that you're telling yourself that's causing you the anger, the indignation, the resentment all those things. And unfortunately it builds up over time. Like it took me seven years to find this. You guys, do you think about how much resentment and anger I had built up a ton, a ton that I couldn't release and so much shame I carried around. It was like black oil in the middle of my chest and I learned to process it. I learned to overcome it. Heck I came out like, I'm like the me too movement of men now, like, let's go. Come on physicians. Like let's, let's not be ashamed of it because it's normal. Holy smokes. You know, Can you speak to, and I don't know the answer to this question. Can you speak to like, because people are like worst case scenario, right? Like worst case scenario, your name's in the National Practitioner Database. Can you still be a doctor in this country? Yes. Yes. And and I think this other one for people, are there good doctors that have been named in the National Practitioner Database? Oh my gosh. Holy smokes. Yes. Most, and the data. Oh, I forgot to talk about this data, Kelly. But the data suggests that those that are sued are actually more knowledgeable and know more than the than the docs that aren't sued. And there is a study 
that shows that the people that make the most errors, the physicians that make the most errors are not getting sued versus the ones that, that don't make errors. It is ridiculous, some of these studies out there of what they've shown, but it really has been um, a major player in that the more knowledge you have, the more likely you're going to get sued. And I don't know if that's just because you see more patients, you have more people coming to you, um, or, you know, if it's a function of that, but that's, that's the stats. And so there, you know, most doctors in the National Practitioner Data Bank are really good doctors. And who is really looking up this National Practitioner Data Bank, except for the hospitals? Are patients really looking these things up? No. No. Right? They're not. But you can, and, still, you can still get a job if your yes, name is in the National Practitioner. You can practitioner. still get a job. You can still get malpractice rates. I actually have a really good woman who um, works with docs who have been sued to get them a really good malpractice rate. Like there's lots that you can do. And, um, you know, and there's um, different, like, don't be closed-minded that your career is over. I think that that's what happens. We go there, right? We totally go there and we think it's over for us. Like we're never going to be able to practice again, or this is going to be bad. And that's really not the case because it's ha it happens so often, you guys. The problem is we don't know about it. The administrators at the hospital know about it, but we don't know about it. So we're thinking we're walking around isolated. We're the only doc in the hospital that's been through this, and that's not true. Um, so I want you to think about like almost the, the rate of suits is higher than you think in your hospital. <laughs> and like, there are still people employed and working with settlements paid and in the national practitioner data bank all the time. Otherwise, listen, 99% of us in high risk specialties is going to be sued. Otherwise they're not going to have physicians are going to be, there would be a huge shortage right now. I mean, I know there's a shortage. That's a good but, point. But I hadn't, I hadn't even gone there. If 99% of us get sued and you can't be employed if you've been sued, then there'd be no doctors. Right. Oh. Yeah. Doesn't happen. That's helpful. That's helpful. Okay, here's yeah. another one. This is really important. What do you do when an employer holds this over you when you're trying to negotiate? I'm almost three years out from a case that led to a settlement, no actual suit filed, but anytime I ask for anything at all, they say, well, you know, that one case back in, you know, 2017, and it's the end of the conversation. What advice yeah. would you give this surgeon? I would give this surgeon, you I, you have to learn the fierce mama bear, the fierce mama bear self-compassion. I'm not kidding you. You have to go in there and be deliver the message self-compassionately, but fiercely to stand up for yourself because that's ridiculous that you can't get a raise or you can't get what you're asking for because of this lawsuit. When nine, if you presented the facts, 99% are gonna be sued <laughs> in your special in high risk specialty. And you can't tell me that there's the other surgeons haven't been sued over here. Like that's ridiculous. They're just playing on you. Like this is the unfortunate problem of business. You know, this is what they do. Um, but it's standing up for ourselves and, and, and doing it though, compassionately so that you don't come across defensive or, you know, um, in a way that would be, they're going to label something, but you do have to stand up for yourself. And I think you can do it in a way that is with presenting with data. That's what I would do. I would bring in the data. And if you need help with that, I'm happy to help you. Awesome. That was my next question. I'm like, could you yeah. help her? Okay, great. Yeah. Just go to medmal.com and, um, or the medmalcoach.com and I, I can help you. You can just contact me. Awesome. <laughs> I'll get the, the research. Yeah. Awesome. 
Okay, last question. What if employed physician doesn't want to settle and the employer, the health system, does? I've heard stories where this happens because it's easier for the health system, but it stays with the physician. Say that again, Kelly. I'm like, so, yeah, it says the employed, the physician doesn't want to settle the lawsuit, yes. but the health system does. Yes. So here's the thing. You do have rights, although you have to read your contract. So go to your contract and read it of what you signed. Um, I don't know if there's a clause in there or not, but we actually, the physicians usually have their own rights where we could actually get our own lawyer and we could um, uh, disagree. Okay. And go through the process. So it's up to you now. I know. So, so here's, there's pluses and minuses with everything. So, um, you know, my insurance company decided to take this to trial, right? Because they felt there was nothing done wrong. Right. So, um, and that's, and, and I went with that. Okay. Um, but if I would have disagreed, I could have hired a lawyer myself and, went back to my insurance company and said, no, we're going to settle it. Right. Um, here's the thing. And this is the reason why entities want to settle. It's because it's so much less money going to trial costs a fortune. And um, even though 80% of the time you win as a physician, it just costs so much more money than for them to just give this patient money. And I get it's, it's a mark on our, on our reputation now, right? It goes into the national practitioners databank. Um, so one of the things is I would, you could consult a lawyer. A lot of times they'll do that um, just to talk about what your options are. Make sure in your contract that you're able to do that. You can hire your own lawyer and discuss this and, um, and, and see what your options are because um, there have been other physicians that have done that. And, um, and I think in hindsight, some of the things that I went through personally with myself, I wish I would have had my own personal lawyer. So, because you do get stuck with what the insurance company is going to give you and your employer, if you don't do that. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but sometimes settling is, is the right answer and it's still it okay. It is. Okay. And that's what I want you to understand is like, no matter the outcome. So here's the thing. Here's what I do with my clients and stuff is I work with them no matter the outcome. Like it doesn't matter if this gets settled, if it gets, if you lost in trial, if, you know, whatever gets dismissed, it doesn't matter the outcome. I'm going to teach you how to be at peace with whatever happens and that, and it's not wrong to settle. It doesn't say that you did something wrong. What's happening is you're telling yourself the story that I did something wrong because now I'm settling and admitting it. It's not an admission that you did something wrong by settling. It's actually a money and business decision. That's what the institution is thinking of. They're thinking right now, we want to spend less money on this. Nothing was done wrong, but we are going to you know, settle this because we need it to go away. It is, it is very, like I said, it's very costly to go to trial and there's a lot of time into it. So like as a physician, if you go to trial, you have to take weeks off without usually, I mean, you're not in your office, so you're not getting paid and you're not producing revenue. So, I mean, my trial lasted three weeks. Who can do that? Right? Like it's, it's so much time, so much cost, so much anxiety and stress as well. So like you have to play all that into consideration along with, okay, what's the institution wanting to do in this insurance company? They want to settle because they just want to get it done with and over with and move on. So, um, you know, hire yourself a lawyer, ask their opinion. If you can, if you're allowed, um, I'd look at your contract first from the hospital to be sure. Awesome. Great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everybody again where they can find you? Yeah. So you can find me at the medmalcoach.com and um, you can 
um, if you subscribe, you'll get the most common myths about MedMal. And um, we're putting together a group cohort um, soon, very soon. So like you could be part of that first group if you'd like and be part of a community of others that are facing the exact same things you are. What an amazing resource. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Kelly. I so appreciate your time and and, and um, this podcast and all the work that you're doing. Um, gosh, I don't know if you guys have heard Kelly speak, but she's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the plug at the end. I appreciate it. He is. He is. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.